Welcome to Christian Living Spotlight, an extension of Christian Living Magazine. We invite you to join us as we take a deeper look into the stories and ministries highlighted in Christian Living Magazine. Welcome to Christian Living Spotlight. I'm Sandy Jones, the host and publisher of Christian Living Magazine, a 501c3 nonprofit ministry. This show has been made possible by a generous grant that we received so that we could come to you each week and take a deeper dive into the stories and ministries you'll find in the pages of Christian Living Magazine. I'm super excited to have my friend Rick Cromie in this week's Spotlight. Rick is the founder and president of MANA Educational Services International. He is also one of our columnists where he writes on more historical subjects and was our cover story for our November-December 2020 edition of Christian Living Magazine, which you can still go to our website and read under our, our past issues column. Rick, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, it's good to be in studio with you, Sandy. You know, the last time you were here, mm-hmm. I got to introduce you as my new friend. Right. And today you're just my friend. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> that's, it's interesting how those things work. <laughs> but we have become friends. It's really great. Um, we've we've gotten to do a lot of Bible study together and yeah. different things, and and I, you know, it's just been kind of it's been a lot of fun. Not kind of, it's been a yeah. lot of fun to get to know. I you. I call it a blessing. Yep, me me too. <laughs> how are you? I'm doing great. Doing great. It's it's kind of fun. Summer is here. Just got off of the road with uh, a couple of friends. We did two weeks in Montana, which. You know, I think everybody ought to do that before they die so they can experience a little heaven on earth. And yeah. I was stalking you on that trip, and you guys got out of Yellowstone like days yeah, we, before the big flood. About a week we were out of Yellowstone, but we ran into flooding up in Glacier Park. We did both the national parks as well as a number of different uh, uh, you know, historical sites. Followed the Lewis and Clark Trail. That was fun. I have a lot of Lewis and Clark interest in my history studies. That that always intrigues me. I, that's when when Steve and I, you know, got married a hundred years ago, and and he, you know, he was traveling. He was he was a road warrior, and he had Idaho, Oregon, and Washington. And once in a while, there was a show or a meeting that I was able to go with him. And I'm I am that person. Stop. There's a there's an Oregon Trail thing. I want to read that. You know. And he's like, really? And it's. I said, yes. I'm fascinated by it because I'm such a wuss that I would have died on the Oregon Trail. <laughs> I think most people today would have died on the Oregon Trail. We. We have creature comforts that we actually have to have, and and they actually had real creatures on their <laughs> on their path. On their path. <laughs> so your column in Christian Living Magazine is titled "History, Culture, and Faith." And with Independence Day, the Fourth of July, just in a couple of days, I thought chatting about our country's history and the role faith played in its formation was the perfect subject for today. And you were willing to play along. <laughs> yeah, yeah. First of all, this this whole study in the founding faith and the, the founding fathers and the history of of our country uh, is something that I've been exploring for really the last couple of years in depth. Uh, it's the COVID moment for me was a chance to, I got off the road. I wasn't speaking as much. I wasn't, you know, the traveling was, was shut down obviously. And so I thought, what am I going to do with my time? And, you know, I, I started thinking about, uh, you know, maybe reinventing myself a little bit. You know, I, I pretty much, I've always been a futurist looking at cultural history and where we're going as, as a society. But uh, I started looking at, at the founding fathers. I just started there and had an interest in, in seeing where they were at. And, you know, I've always been taught that uh, we've, we've been a Christian nation. And yeah. I believe now we're in a post-Christian era of, of our country. We're no longer a Christian nation as, as such or as defined. But I didn't realize how much we were a Christian nation. 
It I was mean, solid as I've as I've been reading your columns. Yeah, I did not realize amazing. how much it was, and you know, I was writing on this yesterday a bit as I as I look back. You know, we can look at America through certain epochs. You, you might say. 80 years. It takes about 80 years for a generation or for a new culture to rise because you got to have 80 years of generations underneath that new culture in order to erase the old culture. And when you look at America, there's been three such turnings. I mean, from 1780 to 1860 was our founding father era. And that's kind of where we're going to land today. But you got 1860 to 1940. That's that post-Civil War, civil, you know, as far as, uh, you know, um, emancipation and all that, the and the rise of, of the machine industrial age. And then from 1940 to 2020, that 80-year period has been really a, a secular period for America as yes. we've slowly moved away from our founding roots. And, you know, so when people talk about this, I always like to just say, start with, we have to understand context. In order to understand anything, you have to stand under it. And the context of the um, of the first 80 years, that founding father period from 1780 to 1840, that period was really a, a period of faith because they had two great religious revivals that sparked it. I mean, when you look at America, you have to look at the first Great Awakening in the in the seven, late 1700s, and then the second Great Awakening, which was around 1790 to 1830, and it still had remnants of it all the way to you know 1860. Yeah, you know, you had that had that uh, Great Awakening, Second Great Awakening. So our founding fathers going to church was was a common thing. Christianity was a, a vocabulary for them. The Bible was their only book in the a lot Bible, of cases. Yeah, and, and yeah. The, really the revolution was, the, the American Revolution was rooted to biblical Christianity. When you look at the, the equality of man, liberty for all, justice, you know, all those things that make America and the ideals of America that we hold true today are rooted to that uh uh, to to biblical concepts that they they pulled right out of the the Bible itself. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. And yeah. you've covered some really interesting things in your column. You know the 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 prayer life and and the different devotions of different of different members historically as they set up our nation. So um, you had you had some points, and I yeah. and I don't want to steal your thunder. I'm you know. Sorry yeah, well, you know, I, on you to here. start on this, I always say don't don't start with Americans. Let's start with the French, and it, you know in the early uh, early. 1800s, uh, there was a man by the name of Alexis de Tocqueville. Uh, he was a French diplomat, and he came over here to America, and he just, he actually came over to inspect the prisons. He wanted to understand our, how, how crime and was being processed and justice and, you know, the, the whole, uh, uh, you know, juries and all that worked. And, and he became fascinated rather with the democracy of America and in particular how we became a democratic state. Because democracy, French, the French were very interested in that. They had a whole French Revolution. The difference was the French Revolution was secular in its perspective. It was agnostic, even atheistic at, at certain points. And the French Revolution was constantly trying to bleed in to have impact on our founding fathers. But again, that first great awakening had really steeled America and rooted America to this Christian ideal, this Christian, uh, uh, rooting. And, and that was part of the whole play. So Alexis de Tocqueville comes over here, and one of the things he writes is this, and I'll just, just read a quote from his book, Democracy in America. He said, quote, Upon my arrival 
in the United States, the religious aspect of the country was the first thing that struck my attention. And the longer I stayed there, the more I perceived the great political consequences resulting from this new state of things, to which I was unaccustomed. In France, I had almost always seen the spirit of religion and the spirit of freedom marching in opposite directions. But in America, I found they were intimately united and that they reigned in common over the same country, end quote. And he just, he goes on and on talking about how religion and faith and Christianity in particular really was what made America, America. America. You know, it's so funny. We, as Christians, we often talk about in, in some of our studies and in some of our study groups, you know, um, where, where do you come up with morals if you don't have something to base those morals on? Mm-hmm. And, and that is a huge difference. And I can see that in the development of a nation, that that would play a huge role in the success of that nation. Absolutely. In fact, John Adams himself, uh, who was the signer of the Declaration of Independence, he was a judge, he was a diplomat, uh, he, he was one of the two signers of the Bill of Rights, second president of the United States. John Adams said this, he said, quote, the general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. <laughs> John Adams. He says, I will avow that I then believed and now believe that those general principles of Christianity are as eternal and immutable as the existence and attributes of God. Wow. Yeah, that's huge. That is huge. That is huge. And and you know what's interesting? We're talking about Independence Day coming up. Just a little factoid here. You're Um, good at those. 50 years after the Independence uh, of of Declaration Declaration of Independence was was. Produced and penned, and, you know, July Fourth being the anniversary date, yep. the 50-year anniversary in 1826, John Adams died on that day. On that day, and what's really interesting is a few hours later, Thomas Jefferson died on that day. They died on the exact same day, the 50th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. And I believe five years later, in 1831, James Madison died on July Fourth. That's so. incredible. So you have so we'll, we'll talk more about this at the end. But <laughs> but you do a manna daily, yeah. That, that my husband and I both get, and it's wonderful. And so that, those are the kinds of. I mean, I always learn something, and a lot of it's not just factoids, but. <laughs> Those are the kind of factoids. Like, wow, that's interesting. I have no yeah, idea. I, I find history is an amazing thing, and there are there are crazy coincidences to it. There are parallels. As a historian myself, or as a as a, a cultural historian, I, I like to look at patterns in history and and see. You know, history does repeat itself, mostly because people are stupid and we do forget, and we do repeat what we forget. My my mother was huge about that. History will repeat itself. If we don't learn history, we will do it again. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So um, so you touched on one of my favorite columns that you did, and you did an extensive column on Thomas Jefferson. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because so many people say, especially those in, in a more secular setting, they say, you know, this was not a nation, this was not a nation built on Christianity. Our founding fathers weren't necessarily Christian. Um, separation of church and state, that's a big one. Mm-hmm. And so um, I just i just really enjoyed But your column that you did on Thomas Jefferson really, really spoke to me. And then you recently did one on Thomas Paine. Yeah. That was, that, matter of fact, that one's still on the stands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jefferson's an interesting fellow because uh, he, 
he and Ben Franklin often get labeled as uh, initially the, the deist. They get that deist tag on them. But yeah. we, we tend to look at deism today. It, it was a much different deism back then. You know, again, context is everything when you start to interpret history. And part of what I, I feel is I'm called to do is help people to properly interpret history. And it's just like interpreting the Bible. You have to understand what is going on. And deism in that, in that period of the founding fathers was a much different, uh, um, uh, horse uh, th- than it is today, and how we viewed it. It was uh, we, we view it today as being more secular again. More, yeah. uh, it's more agnostic, and it wasn't. You know, uh, Thomas Paine, it, 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 he he went over to France, and that's part of where he got into his deism. And you know, they were more agnostic, and there was even some atheism in French in the French Revolution as well. But you know, he came back. He always believed in God. You know, he always had a had a, a an idea, but he. He rejected all the creeds. He rejected religion as you know the institutional side of religion, which is the big issue in that founding father period. Yes. It's institutional religion because uh, you know Jefferson himself struggled with this too. You know the whole separation of church and state was because some Baptists, the Danbury Baptists uh, from Danbury, Connecticut, came to him, wrote a letter actually to him, and said, you know, hey, we're a little concerned about where this constitution is going and whether we should sign on with it. And that's where he used that phrase, the the separation of, of church and state. But it was in reference to, hey, listen, n- there's not going to be any federal denomination here. There's not going to be like a the Church of England. You know, the Church of England, which in America became the Episcopal Church, by the way. The Church of England was the state religion. And in America, we allowed every denomination to have its its way. And in fact, most states were guided by a particular religion. Maryland was Catholic. Um, Connecticut, uh, or excuse me, um, the Pennsylvania, of course, was Quaker. Yeah. When you look at uh, Massachusetts, Virginia is another one, Virginia, Church of England. So you, know, you look down at all these different states, they tended to have one denomination that was their thing. And that was the big issue. Separation of church and state was to separate. We're not, from a federal level, we're not going to be one denomination. No one denomination is going to get control of us like it did back in England, which is where we came from. We're not going to allow that to happen. That's what church and state separation is all about. Uh, we've totally... Um, muddied the waters today well in that and, and we've done it in our generation I'm, yeah. I'm, a, I'm not a lot older but i'm a little older than yeah. you and and i remember when i started school my early years we opened with the pledge and prayer yeah we got yeah. a bible story read to us in first and second grade yeah and it was in my later grade school years that they started pulling prayer out and yeah. you know the different things i i lived that i heard my parents although i was my parents shielded me from adult conversations a lot when i was younger and so I, you know, but it w- I would pick up on some of their yeah. concerns about that. Even though we were not a, a church attending family, they were concerned that they were pulling that out of our schools. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's always been that tension. See, that's mm-hmm. another thing. We think these things are recent. From America's founding, there's always been a tension of the secular against the sacred. And and when you look at the historical writings, you see these people. It, it's just it's just Christianity had more of a of a pull back then than it does today uh, in, in the culture. But let, let me read to you from 1854. I love this. A, a Congress, the U.S. Congress actually was tasked with studying the Christian founding of America. And here's what they came, the conclusion of it was. This is a, from a Cong- Congressional U.S. House Judiciary Committee, 1854, and I quote, 
Had the people during the revolution had a suspicion of any attempt to war against Christianity, that revolution would have been strangled in its cradle. In this age, there can be no substitute for Christianity. That was the religion of the founders of the republic, and they expected it to remain the religion of the descendants. This is 1854. See, so the fa- there, there's no doubt when you look at the writings, when you look at the history, when you just take a a, a hard you know look, we were a Christian nation from the beginning. Now we're not anymore, and that is obviously a different conversation. But you know we we have something to be proud of. I think as Christians, and you and I are we're both very strong Christians. This is a a Christian radio station, and this is a Christian uh, Christian Living magazine, and such. I think we have something to be proud of with our with our heritage. I agree. I agree. We have to stand yeah. for something, you know. And and you know, it's it's fine. Recently, had a conversation with it with a with another chaplain, and and he and I were talking. We were talking about sacrifice some of the disciples made. Yeah, you know, as they you know Paul, for instance, as he left. Um, Judaism to be a Christian, to be a Christ follower, you know, and the Bible doesn't talk about that, nor does Paul. But he lost everything. He lost his family. He lost, you know, the sacrifice they made because he chose to stand with Christ. And and today, we choose to stand with Christ. Yeah. That you know, it, the only thing that's changed is it's more modern, and we live in a much more secular world, which is kind of I think where we were transitioning to is mm-hmm. is today we live in a much more secular culture. Yep. And so how does how so that then leads to the question is how should Christians respond to this secular culture because it's everywhere today. Yeah. It's in the box office, it's on the grocery store shelves, it's in the clothing aisles, it's everywhere. It's as you drive down the road. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that there's again history can help us out here because this is not a new situation we find ourselves in. Uh, Christian Christianity's always had these moments where it's been, you know, culture has been overwhelmed it, secular culture has overwhelmed it. And, you know, we've been on we've been here before. Historically, when it comes to culture, I, I like to say that there are there are three basic ways that Christians have responded to culture. Uh, one is um, for lack of a better term, you know, the idea of um, of of immersion. You know, this is kind of the extreme where we we immerse ourselves in the culture. You see some people saying this, well, my kid's going to drink. I might as well let him drink. I might as well be there. My kid's going to look at pornography. I might as well give him pornography. And, and some Christians actually fall into that, you yeah. know. Yep. They, they 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 fall into watching the R-rated movies with their children and such, and, and, and they go that, that, that immersion where they immerse into the culture. The other one is what I call isolation, and this has been a predominant one for Christians. What Christians tend to do when they meet culture is they tend to isolate. Yep. Let's totally separate, have nothing to do with it, and if we, if we do anything, we'll create clever little T-shirts that kind of mimic the culture um, and such, but, you know— and logos or slogans and stuff like that, but we isolate. You know, you saw this with the with the um, the monks and the you know the, the individuals like that. There's another way, and and this is this is more the approach I took, and many Christians take as well, and that's what I call inoculation. You know, when you're inoculated, you're actually putting the disease into your body yeah. to build up immunity. And I think you can do that with culture. And that's a great way to respond to culture is that you inoculate your children against it by, when it's appropriate, having conversations, allowing them to hear the word that you don't want them to say, but then having a conversation about why we don't say that, why it's a bad word, or, or you know, just the whole 
the conversations, the various ones you can have. And you, your minds probably can go crazy with that one. I do think there's a higher level, though. And, you know, I, when I spoke, I did a lot of speaking on, on this many years ago, and I always stopped at those, those three. But the last one, I think, is the one that I think is the most important one, and that's the Jesus model. Jesus used incarnation. Yeah. How did Jesus respond? Jesus responded by being pure in an impure world. Yes. He incarnated into the world, and he was able to live very successfully within this, within this polluted culture. And he did it by incarnated, but it also meant that he had feelings. I mean, when he looked at his culture, he saw them as sheep without a shepherd, you know, lonely and lost and wandering, and he grieved for that. You know, you, you see that within the scriptures. And I think that's how we, you know, the mature Christian needs to be with our culture is that we grieve. When, when I hear someone say a bad word or, or let loose of some curse in, in, in public profanity, you know, for me, I immediately just start to say a prayer for them. Mm-hmm. I say, you know what, God, there must be something in their life right now that is is hurting them to the point where they feel like that's acceptable. They have to let that word out. And, it, you know, they don't need a sermon at that point. They don't need me to go over and wag my finger at them and say, you know, you don't talk like that way in public. Hey, listen, a secular culture is going to act that way in public. Absolutely. As Christians, we just have to get used to it. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and, you know, my, one of my favorite things is they just told me how they how I can pray for them. Right. You know, regardless of the situation, yeah. you know, if if someone comes at you verbally, not physically, um, remember, sometimes it's more about them than it is and what's going on in their life than mm-hmm. it is yours at all. Right. And if as Christians, we have to remind ourselves, too, the darkness hates the light. Yeah. You know, and so we have to be the mature Christian. Yeah. And remember that Christ um, in, in the foot washing, you know, in John, you know, he loved them to the end. Yeah. He loved, he felt that love. Yeah. And so I love that advice. I love that advice. Um, so are there scriptures out there that people might li- that might lean on a little bit more to deal with some of this secularism? Well, I, obviously you can look at, at Romans has some good passages there about how we respond to our rulers. We, we pray for our rulers. Um, I don't get in as, as as a person myself, and and I can be very political. I mean, it's one of those things where I'll attest to that. We've had know, those conversations. Yeah, I mean, because you know, I enjoy politics. I always have. There's nothing, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I do think that there's a point where our politics can create a wall, and good politics always creates bridges first. And for me, that's what I want to do. I want to build bridges. Yeah. You know, I, we can disagree. I think that's the biggest problem today is that we have disagreements and people start flaming each other for their disagreements. You know, we can disagree and still be friends. And be civil, you yeah. know. And that's and getting back to the secularism, I had someone come to me one time and, you know, I'm, you know, I'm agnostic, not sure. And, you know, I'm not where I used to be, but I'm, you know, I'm still working. And I said, you know, I'm not called to judge you. Mm-hmm. I'm only called to love you. That's all I'm, you know, all if right. you have questions, I'll answer them. But I am, I God has not moved over on the judgment seat to share it with me. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm just here to love you. Yeah. And so that's a big thing, too. So, Rick, we're running out of time. Where can our listeners go to find out more about MANA Educational Services or to contact you in general? Well, first of all, rickcromey.com is, uh, for lack of a better word, more my my non faith uh, site, which is where I do a lot of my history and such now. 
uh, for the faith-based side of things, manasolutions.org. And as you mentioned, I do have a Monday through Friday email that goes out. I'd love to have your listeners jump, come join me on that, uh, that journey where we, uh, we basically inspire. I talk a little bit of culture. I talk a little bit of faith. I talk a little bit of history. That's what it's all about. And, and, and it's done in bullet points. It's a quick and easy read. Yeah, that's the whole point. Which was, is huge for me. Yeah. yeah. Thir- uh, the whole point was to find something of 30 seconds or, you know, a minute. So yeah. that and I love it. So again, tell us those websites again. Manasolutions.org, and that's where you can sign up for the uh for the mana uh morning mana or rickcromie.com and that's more my history and speaking such that those things that I do today. And those kinds of things. Rick, thank you so much. And folks, again, if you want to read more about his story from Thomas Paine, it's still on the stands for a few more days in over 600 locations or on our website at christianlivingmag.com. This does bring our time to an end this week. We invite you back next week when we have another special guest in store for you, someone who will encourage you with hope and inspiration. Until next time, God bless. This has been Christian Living Spotlight, an extension of Christian Living Magazine, where it's our desire to deliver faith, hope, encouragement, and perhaps a new perspective about God's love to our listeners and readers as we showcase the hands and feet of Christ at work in our community and beyond. For more information on today's program, the magazine itself, or to subscribe, go to www.christianlivingmag.com or search Christian Living Magazine on Facebook for an uplifting start to each day. Christian Living Magazine is free to pick up in over 600 locations throughout Central and all of Southern Idaho. Our mailing address is Christian Living Magazine, P.O. Box 867, Meridian, Idaho, 83680. Or you can email us at christianlivingmag at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week.